0: This is Guns and Butter. There's
1: something happening here. Yeah, yeah. What it is ain't exactly clear. There's a man with a gun over there. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> telling me I got to be where it's time we stop.
0: To- I'm Bonnie Faulkner. Today on Guns and Butter, investigative reporters and authors Christina Borgeson, Charlotte Dennett, and Peter Dale Scott. Today's show, the accountability movement, high crimes, mass media, and deep politics. Christina Borgeson is editor of Into the Buzzsaw, leading journalists expose the myth of a free press. And Feet to the Fire, the media after 9-11, top journalists speak out. She is an independent documentary film producer and has had a distinguished media career with CNN, CBS, and developed stories for 60 Minutes. Welcome, Christina.
2: Hi.
0: Good to be here. Uh, Joining us is Charlotte Dennett. Charlotte is an attorney and author of The People vs. Bush, One Lawyer's Campaign to Bring the President to Justice and the Grassroots Movement She Encountered Along the Way. She is also co-author with her husband, Gerard Colby, of Thy Will Be Done, The Conquest of the Amazon... Nelson Rockefeller, and Evangelism in the Age of Oil. Welcome, Charlotte. Thank you, Bonnie. Great to be here <laughs> <And> again. <laughs> uh, we also have with us Peter Dale Scott, who is a poet and author of The War Conspiracy, JFK 9-11, and the Deep Politics of War, The Road to 9-11, Wealth, Empire, and the Future of America, Deep Politics and the Death of JFK, and <clears throat> Crime and Cover-Up, the CIA, the Mafia, and the Dallas Watergate connection, among many other books. Well, welcome, Peter.
1: Well, it's good to be back here, Bonnie.
0: You've got such a, a, a long string of books; I uh, couldn't fit them all in. Can there.
1: I? Can I just add that I have a book coming out in the fall, oh, okay. uh, called, tentatively called "The Road to Afghanistan."
0: Oh, wonderful! Look forward to that. <laughs> Well, uh, Charlotte Dennett, let's begin with you. Uh, you're you've got a new book out. It's just out, what, January, February, two thousand and ten. Is that's, that right? That's right. Uh, the People versus Bush: One Lawyer's Campaign to Bring the President to Justice, and you talk at length about the accountability movement. What's the accountability movement?
3: It's a it's a movement of uh, people who had been very active in the efforts to impeach. Bush and Cheney, and became very frustrated when that issue was taken off the table, to quote Nancy Pelosi famously. And a lot of these people began to look at the possibility of prosecuting Bush, that was an issue that was raised in two areas. First of all, it was raised at a conference that was held by the Massachusetts School of Law in the fall of 2008. And at that conference, there were lawyers, journalists, and activists that all came together on the theme of prosecuting high level government officials for war crimes. And it was at that conference that I actually met Vincent Bugliosi, the author of The Prosecution of George W. Bush for Murder, and I met other lawyers and activists, and uh, became very interested in in the passion that they exhibited. They were very disturbed that the media was not adequately covering the war crimes and the torture. That was the reason for the conference. But they uh, eventually formed themselves into an organization called the Justice Robert Jack and steering committee named after the chief prosecutor at Nuremberg. And the idea is, well, first of all, his opening statement at the Nuremberg trials was that the principles established at this famous trial especially uh, holding uh, government officials, Nazis in this case, uh, accountable for war crimes, that those principles apply to the victors as well as the vanquished. And it should the quote-unquote poisoned chalice ever pass to our lips that we would have to hold ourselves or our own government officials accountable. And so there's some very committed lawyers as part of this movement that that I discovered. And then I ran for attorney general in Vermont uh, doing my part, pledging to prosecute Bush. Bush, if elected, uh, Vincent Bugliosi came up to help me. And I was in a four-way race. I only had a month to campaign. So yeah, I lost, but uh, I came in third. But I got so hooked on this whole notion of accountability uh, that I began to reach out even further and found, for instance, that there were a lot of people that were demonstrating against the torture uh, at Guantanamo and, and elsewhere. And they weren't getting covered in the press. Even on the cover of my book, it shows, a, a protester kneeling in front of the Supreme Court in an orange jumpsuit and um, I wanted that on the cover to show that there are people that were doing these demonstrations all over the country but of course the media wasn't covering them and I wanted to use my book as sort of a call to action to bring all these people who really care very very deeply about the absolute epidemic of lawlessness that occurred under Bush, bring them together do all that we could to say we will not rest and Until They are um, held accountable, investigated, prosecuted for murder and war crimes. The murder being sending uh, American troops to war on a lie. The war crimes for, of course, uh, uh, ruthlessly torturing detainees. That's very much against the law. And uh, so that's what we're doing. And I think right now we're at a stage where we're, in a way, we're we're resurrecting it. Because when Obama came into office, it it went into a sort of quiescence. Everyone wanted to give Obama the benefit of the doubt, and he clearly sent the message by saying, We're not going to move forward. Uh, we're going to move forward. We're not going to move backwards. Um, that he didn't want to prosecute. But um, nonetheless, because of pressure from the base, it may still happen, and we need to now really mobilize this base again. I see, Charlotte.
0: So you're still working on that. One of the questions I have about um The notion that Bush took us to war because of a lie that Iraq had weapons of mass destruction, I never really uh, understood that fully because even if they had had weapons of mass destruction, that still did not give the United States any right to wage an
3: aggressive war against another country, right? I mean, the U.S. has weapons of mass destruction. Oh, that's that's exactly Mm -hmm. right. Really, the real issue, which seldom gets discussed, is that... uh, the, the the false pretense was that uh, Bush sent us to war claiming that Saddam Hussein was a threat to our nation, and he was not. He was never a threat to our nation, and Bush knew that. Right. His national intelligence estimate that had issued a report the week before he went on national television... Uh, D- did not come to this dark conclusion but he just ignored that went on television said that saddam hussein was a threat and th- and it's on that basis that he convinced our young soldiers well you know soldiers of all ages to go to war thinking that they were avenging 9-11 and that somehow saddam hussein was responsible for it and that he was a threat all of that is a lie And 4,000 people died, over 4,000 died, and of course, hundreds of thousands, if not millions of Iraqis, innocent, have died since. So, you're looking for a grassroots
0: movement to build to bring these people to justice. That's, right? that's
3: correct, yes. And and what's happening right now uh, is that we're beginning to coalesce. As a matter of fact, the fact that I have two very illustrious guests joining me here today, Christina Borgeson and Peter Dale Scott, I'd like to say is, is symbolic of the fact that we are now finding each other. You know, for a long time, some of us worked a, a bit in isolation and now we realize that the situation is so dire. You've got the right wing that is... Uh, mobilizing Americans who uh, are forgetting sometimes what the source of the problem was during the last eight years. You've got Bush, and, or not Bush so much, but Cheney, Rove, and John Yoo, the torture lawyer, going out on the networks, the talk shows, spreading their lies. It's time that we stand up and stop them and at the same time mobilize Americans because if we don't do it now, the impunity is going to continue. Well, right. In addition
0: to holding high officials accountable, there's also the media, which is so incredibly important. And Christina Borgeson, you have edited this incredible book, Into the Buzzsaw, Leading Journalists Expose the Myth of a Free Press. Uh, what could you tell us generally about the myth of a of a free press? You've had an incredible career in the media and a lot of experience.
2: Well, uh, basically, there are what I call the black holes of reporting. There are, uh, reporting in this country is very circumscribed. Um, there are certain subjects, particularly when you're talking about. The power elite. When you're talking about uh, government institutions like uh, the CIA and the FBI, um, any kind of deep politics, as Peter Dale Scott—that's uh, that's his term that he coined—you, uh, th- this cannot be covered. And um, you know, at CBS, obviously, I learned that the hard way while I was <laughs> covering the, uh, I was covering the crash of T. I was. Assigned to cover the crash of TWA eight hundred, and eventually lost my job after the FBI came after me for a piece of claiming that I had a piece of stolen evidence, which I did not. And um, interestingly enough, I was then hired uh, to do work on a pilot and tell the story for um, for a pilot that was called declassified, that was going to air on ABC. And again, before I, I shot, I think I'd shot maybe one interview. But before, you know, I'd barely begun to report on this thing, not only was my story shut down, but the entire series was shut down. And uh, so that's, you know, that's after, you know, I did Buzzsaw and then... Coming to uh, working with Charlotte, I sort of crossed the Rubicon into this kind of activism, which I was not comfortable doing initially, but it was because I was hired by Dan Rather Reports to do a show that was called, that was tentatively titled The Cabal. And it was looking at exactly who in the White House, the State Department, the CIA, the Pentagon, who exactly, naming names, did what to push us into Iraq and were trying to push us into Iran. And I was so shocked because the senior producer, the executive producer and Dan really were pretty ignorant of this story even though, you know, there'd been a lot of coverage outside of mainstream on what really happened. And I'll just never forget a senior producer looking at me and going, "Now tell me, why is it I never heard of the Office of Special Plans, this this uh little group in the Pentagon run by uh, Doug Feith that was stovepiping, you know, raw intelligence that they sort of, you know, configured however they wanted to sell the war and send it up to the White House." And I I looked at her I, I, well, actually, I was on the phone, and I, I looked at my uh, co-producer, that, I mean, she and I were working on this, and then I said to her, I said, you know, Janice, I said, I don't know. That's why I did an entire book called Feet to the Fire, looking at the coverage of the run-up to the war in Iraq. And so... <laughs> And she, of course, was very offended. But uh, I, I really was so shocked by that. And and of course, for me, the bottom line shock of of my book that I the bottom line thing that I discovered that was so shocking to me was after talking to people like Ted Koppel and the president and CEO of uh, Associated Press, um, you know, top journalists. It was a, it's a series of interviews with top journalists. Not one of them really knew why. We went to Iraq. Wow. It was really profound. And um, so the interesting thing, though, is that show was killed um, right before it was edited in Dan Rather's shop. And I had, and I said, "Damn it, you know, I'm not going to let them do this to me. I'm going to reconstitute this show." And I had gone up to Charlotte's house to start working on it to find a quiet place to work. And that's when she was saying, "Oh, you know, I'm thinking of running for this and running for uh, attorney general." And I really, and I said, "Well, look, you know," and finally, I, that's when I crossed the road. I said, "Okay, I'll stand with you if you do it." And then fast forward to, I don't know, about a year or so ago. You know, I started, people, I started hearing about, and I'm so embarrassed to say this, I'm so embarrassed to say this, hearing about Peter Dale Scott. And when I finally found his books, and then particularly this book, The Road to 9-11, this book, The Road to 9-11, if I had done my show that had been killed, it would have been a two hour show and the first hour would be that, because what he provides for this accountability movement and for history, You know, he provides the context, he provides the deep context, and in a sense, what he provides is the indictment through the the recounting of the history. Well, thank
0: you, Christine. and I want to come back to this uh, flight TWA story very specifically. But Peter, I wanted to uh, Peter Dale Scott. I wanted to bring uh, you into the conversation here. Now, you are the famous originator of the term "deep politics." What does that mean, and do you think that relates to uh, accountability with regard to high government officials and/or the media?
1: Um, well to start with explaining deep politics I wrote a couple of books about the Kennedy assassination and this is obviously a subject which is uh, taboo in many circles I mean even in in Washington for example uh, we have Nixon now on the tape saying that uh, sort of laughing and saying that the Warren report was the biggest hoax that was ever pulled on the American public but we know that no politician is going to say that publicly, it is one of the black holes that we were were referring to uh, earlier, and um, my analysis of, I started really uh, talking about uh, foreign policy in Asia, and the fact that there were certain events that could never be properly discussed, that covert actions which were disguised sometimes as false flag operations. And in those days, I was talking about parapolitics, which I defined as the uh, a, a system of politics in which accountability is consciously diminished. You know, the CIA, one of its charges is to do things so that they will not look as if they are the CIA's. Uh, deep politics is a larger notion because I came to realize that many things uh, happen which are uh, uh, beyond... and They're not a particular covert operation. They may begin that way, but they get out of control. And the example I give, the classic example for me of deep politics, is the mafia in Italy. I, maybe Americans may not know that... Uh, Mussolini had almost eliminated the Mafia and uh, when the Americans came in to occupy the country, what they were frightened about now were the communists, and the, one of the assets that they turned to was the mafia, the American mafia, and they flew something like 200 uh, American mafiosi, and most of them in prison, Lucky Luciano being the most famous, uh, flew them on U.S. army planes to Italy to fight the communists, and uh, there was, uh, this was quite a bloody fight in Sicily where people were killed, uh, but what happened was that the mafia then uh, got their uh, claws into the Italian political process in a way which was way beyond the ability of the Americans or the Italians to control so that uh, we had 50 years of uh, uh, deep political events in Italy where all kinds of things uh, happened uh, the Piazza Fontana bombing in Milan in 1969 was it, uh, which was blamed on the anarchists at the time, but in, in fact was a uh, something done by Italian military intelligence, which the CIA helped set up after the war, with the aid of the Mafia. So that Italy became a great case study in deep politics, but. I wanted Americans to realize that a city like Chicago was also a city where the mob was involved in the running of Chicago. You had 30 years of mob killings before any one of them was uh, led to a successful prosecution. That was because of Bobby Kennedy in 63. Um, And that this is a fact of American life that uh, many people encounter in one way or another... But they still – none of us want to really accept it as being a basic fact of how we live. So uh, that's why I think that deep politics is uh, a fact in uh, every advanced civilization, in, uh, including America. And uh, to say a bit more about the accountability movement now, um, you know, I, I taught for 34 years at the University of California here in Berkeley, and everyone considered it perfectly normal and uh, acceptable that people sh- should go to Washington and be consultants for the CIA. I believe in academic freedom, and I'm not going to protest that, though I can say John you becomes a <laughs> limiting, uh, that's a difficult one. But if it's appropriate for people to uh, go and work for the CIA, I think it should also be legitimate for people to investigate the CIA and I have to say there have not been very many academics who have done this and I would like to see uh, it become more that if we're going to understand the history of our country and we recognize the extent to which the CIA role in our foreign policy has become bigger and bigger and bigger through the years precisely because people weren't investigating it. You know, the Church Committee did look into the CIA back in the 70s, and they came to the CIA and universities, and in a few paragraphs they lay out an, an alarming scene where the CIA was subsidizing the books being published about third world countries and so on. And then they said, in the interest of academic freedom, we leave this problem to be solved by the universities themselves. And uh, I know that our university at Berkeley, they set up a committee to do this, and that was the last we ever heard of it. And I tried about 10 years later to find out what that committee had done. Nobody knew. I couldn't even find anyone who could tell me what happened to the committee. So I think think the universities share uh, some of the responsibility for a whole way of conducting politics which has grown up in this country where certain things are not looked at because if anyone has the freedom to look at it, you would have thought tenured professors with huge libraries and all kinds of uh, now uh, uh, computer assistants should have been in the forefront of that and I have to say with some shame and regret that I don't think the universities have done that and I hope that a u- new generation, we will see that begin to happen. That's
0: an important uh, point, Peter, you know, because we're focused here on the media and and high crimes uh, by government officials, but you're absolutely right. Academia is so important, and that's where so many people get their education.
1: Right. Yeah. And they they get educated the idea that it's all right to go and work (laughs) in Washington, and I must say, well, of course, Berkeley was a a lively community in the 60s and 70s and 80s, more so than now, perhaps. Uh, But the uh, it, Yes, that, uh, free inquiry, uh, uh, to have an open society, you have to have open inquiry. You must not just take as a given that certain subjects are not to be discussed by in polite circles.
0: I'm speaking today with investigative journalists and authors Peter Dale Scott, Christina Borgeson, and Charlotte Dennett. Today's show, The Accountability Movement, High Crimes, Mass Media, and Deep Politics. I'm Bonnie Faulkner. This is Guns and Butter. Well, Charlotte, with regard to... Uh, an accountability movement going mainstream. I just saw uh, director Roman Polanski's new movie, The Ghost Rider. And uh, it's a whodunit, of course. But all through the movie is the theme of the International Criminal Court, the ICC, bringing uh, war crime indictment, war crimes indictment against a former uh Prime Minister of Great Britain. So it seems like maybe, what do you think, that accountability of uh, high government officials is maybe going to be the new zeitgeist?
3: Well, I went to see the movie not knowing what I was in for. I was just bowled over because the movie covers the very themes that are covered in my book. And I find that a very encouraging factor. Um, you know, initially, the protesters who are accusing the prime minister of war crimes, they come off looking a, a bit strident. But I think by the end of the movie, people begin to understand that there may be some legitimacy to their concern. And right now, as as I speak, there's this ongoing investigation in Britain called the Chilcot Inquiry. And the whole purpose is uh, to question the, not only the current prime minister, but of course to, Tony Blair the previous Prime Minister, how is it that Britain got into this war, which is very unpopular in Britain. There have been demonstrations outside the uh, inquiry all along. And while on the one hand, uh, it's been made very clear that there will be no criminal indictments coming out of this and Mr. Uh, I guess Sir Chilcott himself said that's for the courts to do and who knows whether they will the point is that the, the last I heard they wanted to bring Bush and Cheney over will they come? Uh, well they'll probably try to fight it but it's not going to look good for them either because the two prime ministers were willing to sit on the hot seat and I'm kind of amazed that there's been very little coverage of this because if we really want to understand all the factors that led into iraq then it behooves us to study what the brits knew about it and and what kind of influence did the uh, americans exert on them or vice versa and there is a lot to learn from these the the transcripts are up there online i've done some blogging on it so uh by the way the one issue though the one issue that is not touched talk about forbidden subjects is oil it is the only thing that explains our war in Iraq and yet not once did that come up it's all, you know, both prime ministers are talking about how we have to fight terrorism and Saddam Hussein was a threat and that's why we did this, none of them talk about the fact that that the U.S., uh, the Bush cabalists, <laughs> as you said, Christina uh, had conspired to get Iraq's oil even before Bush got into office when uh, Treasury Secretary Uh, O'Neill Recounts in his book later that at the first meeting of the National Security Council, the whole issue was about Iraq and, uh, quote-unquote, find me a way. That was the message that Bush was saying. Find me a way to, to get that oil, well, to get the oil. And finally, uh, the way that they found was to, uh, first of all, put John Yoo, a lawyer who has expertise on the powers of the presidency during wartime, to s- take a talk position in the Justice Department. And and people need to remember this about John Yoo. He wasn't just the author of the torture memos. He was the author of uh, giving Bush incredible wartime powers. And it began by invading Afghanistan and then invading Iraq. Can, and they used 9-11 as the pretext.
1: Could I just add to that, that before... in the first month of the new Bush administration in 2001 Cheney was put in charge of this energy task force and uh, the press has tried to find out who was there and get all the papers and essentially we've been denied that but two uh, documents that were released after a long court battle were maps of Iraq showing all the oil areas is And uh, obviously that the Cheney task force wouldn't have been looking at those, uh, as as a Canadian journalist said, it it looks like uh, a butcher's diagram of a cow, how you'll cut it up and showing which would go to what companies of the big oil majors. Uh, It's impossible for them now to say that that oil wasn't on their minds. And of course, one of the great ironies is that when they started doing the war plan, Plan to invade Iraq. They were going to call it Operation Iraq Liberation. And then they figured figured that it would be OIL, so they had to change (laughs) it to Operation Iraqi Freedom.
0: (laughs) Yes. It's funny how those things uh, uh, pop up. uh, christina borgeson I wanted to tell you uh, uh relate a little story to you many years ago I was driving south on the highway in the Sonoma Valley and there was a little truck in front of me this is getting back to the media uh and it had a bumper sticker on it and there was a little plane an airplane on the corner and it said TWA flight 800 we will never forget and I followed the man home because I was uh, uh I was intending to produce a, a show about that very subject and I talked to him at length uh when he got home and he had family members that actually uh, had died in the explosion of TWA 800 and i guess this happened when in july 1996 yes yeah and he was telling me that every year the uh victims families go out to the beach there in new york and uh to mark the anniversary and they they've never forgotten about this this story uh of TWA Flight 800, that was given to you when you worked at CBS. That's right. And then you wrote a long essay about it as part of your book called
2: Into the Buzzsaw. What is the buzzsaw? Well, the buzzsaw is—it's um, sort of the system. It's not sort of coordinated or a conspiracy, but it, there there is sort of a system of censorship uh, for reporters who are investigating um... sensitive stories and uh, powers that be that uh, want to kill the story uh... they it's 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 basically the techniques that are used uh to do that and there are a number of techniques and the different stories in buzzsaw sort of illustrate the different types of techniques and uh, usually the the more controversial the story the more uh, powerful the institutions and people involved the more dangerous it is for the journalist and uh of course in in my book Gary Webb eventually committed suicide Because of his experience uh, covering the crack cocaine, uh, the CIA involvement in um, the crack cocaine explosion in L.A. and um, or people assume he committed suicide, right? I mean,
1: you know, I I was a good friend of his, and uh, Mike Rupert went and and investigated the whole scene thing. He was there's no doubt he was destroyed by the system. Yes, well, after he was so thoroughly destroyed. Uh, suicide seemed, I think, like the logical option for him. His wife is satisfied it was a it's, suicide.
2: It's really difficult. I, you have no idea how these independent, these very sophisticated, independent journalists, how they actually live, for lack of support and oxygen in terms of financing and support, I mean the the institutions around colleges and universities who should be supporting them will will have nothing to do with them. Journalism schools now are highly highly politicized. Yes, uh, I have friends that uh, teaching at Columbia, which is my alma mater, uh, who talk about feeling like they're basically providing toxic information to their students uh... because you can't help but look at the current paradigm, mainstream paradigm, which is, I mean, Columbia, that's, that's who they feed into, and realize that what's being reported on CNN, CBS, ABC, and on the mainstream is, is simply, if you compare it to other outlets, international outlets and independent outlets, if you compare the information, you just realize it, it, it's literally, and I don't think I exaggerate when I say this, it's literally wonderland. There's no context. A lot of it is irrelevant. Uh, the rest is, uh, you know, twisted. I mean, or or you know, just spun. And and most professional journalists that I know, even ones who work in the mainstream, that I know and who are friends of mine, don't don't rely on their own networks for news. So and and. I, I do want to say something because this is really important and key to the accountability movement issue. I do want to talk about the omelta on 9-11. It's just absolutely bizarre. It is bizarre that that the press has not continued to press on this seismic event that has changed everything. In our country, and has bled us of our money and, and the lives of our kids, and bled Iraq of, you know. I mean, mil- millions have been killed and displaced in Iraq. And of course, our society has changed forever. And there is, abs- there is a refusal, it's a pathological refusal to look at this. And that's why, for me, Peter's book the road to nine eleven was so amazing because and again the this information environment for nine eleven and what happened and what led up to it and so on is so poisoned and so tainted by you know the conspiracy stuff and the ridiculous things being said and n- n- ill-considered or n- not considered at all uh, books, you know information that's put out there in the form of books and, and documentaries and so on. And that's why for me Peter you know is such a truly a treasure in terms of the way he provides the information and the work that he does and his road to 911 i think is required reading for every journalist who doesn't want to look at nine eleven right and it's also uh, important to point out that it's
0: not just the neocons in the bush administration that president obama in his speech to the uh, west point cadets Uh, not that long ago, three quarters of it was orchestrating the 9-11 events of September 11th and the 9-11 wars. So Mm -hmm. this whole uh, uh, pretext for war and a police state at home uh, continues, and now we even have the ridiculous spectacle of the underpants bomber on Christmas (laughs) uh, in Chicago, and now we're all going to be subjected to ionizing radiation scanners if we want to go on a
2: plane. Well, listen, if they You know what? Why don't they just have us show up naked at the airport? You know, it's really getting ridiculous.
1: One or two two people have tried that, actually.
2: Well, (laughs) it's 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 really it's it's extremely offensive because the difference between treating this these terrorist acts, as as they put them, as law enforcement issues, where you actually go after the perpetrators and you focus on the perpetrators, because before nine eleven, that's what we did. Mm-hmm. Okay, now and it was war. And it was successful. And now, it, exactly. And it's
1: a war that's going on forever. Because it, it will always be terrorism. And, when
2: you real, it, and you have to understand that, you know, the, first of all, I mean, the, the traces of all the, the, of the agenda to get to 9-11 and then beyond, it, it's all there. It's all documented. Mm-hmm. You just have to put it in one place. And it is in one place in this book. But I have to tell you, the one thing that shocked me was when I read Doug Feith's book... And Doug Fife, who was uh, the Undersecretary for Policy in the Pentagon, number three, man in the Pentagon. And he who, also used to be,
0: what, a, a consultant to the Israeli government? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Well,
2: he's, you know, yeah. he's, uh, mm-hmm. but... Um, but the thing that shocked me in his book was when he said, "Well, we did discuss after 9/11 happened that you know maybe we should choose a target in in Latin America or I think he said Africa I forget where like two completely uh, because we want people to know that this is you know a global war on terror you know we're that that that. that You know, we will go after terrorists anywhere. And I thought to myself, my God, when is the rest of the world going to turn around and say, you know, these are criminals. These are criminals. You can't just go attack a a country, you know. And and the 1% doctrine, the 1%, that's an illegal... That's an illegal doctrine. Of it. Yes. Uh, I you just, know,
1: can I just say? Yes. Okay. Uh, go ahead. I don't know if you you have moved into a very sensitive area here in KPFA because <laughs> oh. <laughs> what you have <laughs> said sorry. that Bonnie has been <laughs> one of the uh, uh, reporters on KPFA who has rigorously gone after 9/11. Yeah. I salute I've you, been Bonnie. I've very gr- Thanks, Very Christine. grateful to her, but. Uh, There is What you're talking about in the country, that this is something we just don't talk about, is a state of a mind that you find in Washington, you find it in certain elements of the right, but you also find it in certain elements of the left, and I have to say that has included many of the leading figures, Larry Bensky and so on, right here at this station. So, I'm very glad you brought it up, Uh, and I think it is something uh, that people in Berkeley have to decide for themselves. Uh, if this is an important topic or not. And if Christina is right in that it is an important topic, and of course I'm committed to the theory that it is, not that I know what happened, I know that we've been lied to, I know there's been a cover-up, and that should be enough right there to insist on going to a new investigation. And if people in this audience agree then they should be asking people on kpfa and especially in all these shows where there's a question period why isn't kpfa interested in this
3: i'd like to just add a personal note to this charlotte dennett yes yeah um two personal notes first of all i just gave a talk in uh los angeles and on my book the people versus bush and uh it it went on for an hour and a half and and then someone in the audience asked a question about 9-11 and what did i think about it and i said well i I frankly think that there should be a new investigation. There's so many questions that that are still out there. Even the commissioners themselves were unhappy with it, and that uh, that that they had relied heavily on confessions that had been tortured out of detainees as their evidence, and that in and of itself is damning. But um, but then the, the just the conversation was just sadly it was just stopped. I mean, uh, you know, we couldn't. Continue, I mean, my my event was just basically closed down after that. It was getting on. I I understood that, but but I, it was frustrating for me, and um and, and I'll tell you why. And here's the real personal note: is that I got to know a couple of the nine eleven widows in the in the process of uh, questioning my own senator uh, Patrick Leahy. Uh, he's the head of the Senate Judiciary Committee, and right at the very time where there's been this clamor um, to invest. Bush and company, uh, right after Obama was elected, suddenly he came out with his truth commission idea, and and he seemed to think that 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 it might fly and it might be made palatable to the American people if it were modeled after the 9/11 commission. And suddenly, I got in my inbox uh, a letter to him by some of the so-called Jersey girls. So there's there's four of them. They're 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 all 9/11 widows, and and they said we don't need another commission. We have had a lot of hearings on, certainly on, on 9-11, we had an abundance of hearings, and nothing ever came of them. The, no, the, no recommendations were made. We were extremely frustrated. We wanted to get at the facts. We felt duty-bound. We we couldn't sleep at night if we didn't try to find out everything we could about this. And yet, when we asked our uh, the, the commissioners themselves to ask certain questions, to call certain witnesses, they didn't do it. It was extremely frustrating for us. So we don't think that having another truth commission modeled after the 9-11 commission is going to be effective at all. And I raised that uh, to Senator Leahy. I was with five Vermonters. We met with him and we asked him, why are you coming out with this idea of a truth commission when we already have in place uh, all the tools to do a prosecution in a normal criminal court and when we've got abundance evidence of wrongdoing and at that point he said well there's not going to be a truth commission he said because he couldn't get any bipartisan support and the problem i have with that is is that i had learned from insiders inside dc that there never was going to be enough bipartisan support the democrats knew it damn well that the republicans were not going to come behind this. By the way, it makes me want want to ask uh, the people of California, whatever happened to the Feinstein investigation into torture, illegal activities of the CIA? She she said she was going to do a report. I remember her saying it. And uh, then I heard that the Republicans didn't want to have anything to do with the investigation. They backed out. And that's the last I've heard of it. Well Colin Powell was
0: also supposed to present a white paper didn't he on uh, oh. on
2: <laughs> you know well from the media side we had a very interesting experience at the last journalism conference that we went to, which interestingly enough was was evenly divided among certain mainstream journalists and trained independent journalists like Charlotte and and me. And um, I had decided to try something. Before that conference, I sent to every attendee of the conference a DVD. Of a documentary about exactly that—the Jersey girls and the questions they were asking. Of course, they were asking very pointed questions because you know they lost people in 9/11. So, right.
1: You know, Keen and Hamilton on TV thanked them. This was at the beginning of the interesting, investigation. Interesting. Thanked them and said these were very important questions, and they were going to provide the agenda for the commission. But the most important questions of all, like how did Building Seven go down and so well, on, no, I mean, never <laughs> examined for a second. <laughs> no.
2: the, but anyway, I, this, this what I thought was great about this, this, uh, jur- this uh, uh, the title of it is escaping me right now, but it, it, you had the Jersey girls and the questions they were asking and the things that they uncovered, and as well as the, this Paul Thompson's timeline, and timeline for investigative reporting is a very important tool. And anyway, I wanted these journalists to look at this, just to sort of, and, and, and I sent them a little questionnaire, what do you think of this, what do you think of the reporting, and so on and so forth, because I just wanted to engage them in this. Well, I got there, and uh, first of all, I never received any questionnaires back. <laughs> then
1: on, unexpected.: on, Well,
2: you? <laughs> what I, I wanted to make a point. And then um, when I was on the panel, I asked everybody, who here watched it?" And Charlotte was the only one. And one guy said to me, "Oh, well, we have day jobs, you know? I mean, this is a one-hour documentary video, okay? <laughs> so then um, I said, "You know, we sit here. In these journalism conferences, and we talk about how, oh, the technology now is terrible, we can't monetize, you know, we can't monetize uh, internet stuff, we can't, uh, you know, papers are losing uh, readers, and uh, TV is losing, and I said, you know, the thing we never discuss is our own corruption. Because it's our corruption and the fact that we don't provide decent context. We don't provide news anymore. We don't do investigations anymore. That's why people are turning elsewhere. And there's just this silence. And, you know, people, you really, you know, you can feel the resentment. Because they resent the truth. They're afraid. And I understand that fear because I know, believe me, it's very nice to get a six-figure salary. It's very nice. And it's a terrible shock to go down to nothing.
0: Well, you tried to do a good job on TWA uh, Flight well, 800, well, and yes. then you lost That's your job re- over it. And what was also interesting about that story is that the uh, another reporter at CBS that was working with you on the story not only did he lose his job, <laughs> but in into the Buzz saw you point out that the FBI man in charge of the cover up was then hired to replace him. Yeah. <laughs> Actually. Oh, oh. The, the,
2: the 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 law enforcement the law enforcement consultant it's just unbelievable yeah. <laughs>
1: Her book, Into the Buzzsaw, is filled with contributors who lost their jobs because of doing a thing. Mike Levine, for example, the DEA agent, who uh, uh, he nailed uh, on a very big bust. I mean, they had on film the money being handed over, but nothing could be done with it because the man was the nephew of one of the leaders of the cocaine coup in Bolivia. Yes, this was a coup in Bolivia which installed the drug traffickers in power. The cousin of the new interior minister was the leading drug trafficker in the I mean
2: country. in all fairness in all fairness to the the american people okay you know how do you how what do you do when you hear that the cia and the fbi are you know criminal uh, engaging in certain factions of engaging in the most you know heinous criminal crimes you know nationally and internationally you know what do you do when you hear your white house your your vice president your president you know involved in some way in in these massive deaths uh, and war and so on i mean everywhere you turn the the election fraud there's criminality huge criminality everywhere and and it, that what they scream is we are no longer a nation of laws you know we are no longer
1: a nation of laws no. but everybody well, feels laws so laws for us just not laws for them well,
2: it, well <laughs> (laughs) (laughs) exactly well it was ever thus okay but the the problem is the problem is you know how do you get your arms around it Mm -hmm. you've got to have a You've got to have a movement. Yeah,
3: you have to have an accountability movement, and part of the component is media accountability. Another one is going to be election fraud accountability. Just on the road, we met a woman who has devoted much of her life in the past, well, ever since the year 2000, to uh, making sure that stories. our uh, elections are fair, which often they aren't, and documenting them. She says there's 10,000 people in that movement alone. You see, that's the whole point: is that we're all out there, but we We need to find each other. And I I do have to say that uh, that's one reason why I had written my book, The People vs. Bush. Uh, It has 10 pages of an appendix in the back where people can sort of see all the different groups that really do deal with this issue. What we need to do is put everybody under one roof. And um, I'll be making an announcement uh, probably in the next two weeks. If people go to my Website, peoplevbush.com, as to how we are coalescing. At part of this book tour, we're meeting more and more people. We hope to meet more people in the future, go around the country, and let's reunite and insist that no one is above the law, including uh, a president or a vice president or a, de- or a um, head of the Department of Defense. I just wanted to add one other little thing in terms of into the buzz. Um, I have a piece in the paperback edition, an essay called um, The War on Terror and the Great Game for Oil, How the Media Missed the Context. So, yes. But there's also a piece in there by my husband, Jerry Colby, who uh, wrote a, a wonderful unauthorized biography of the DuPont family, uh, one of the richest families in the country, who, by the way, are big backers of Newt Gingrich, who, by the way, has been supporting the Tea Party movement uh, very clandestinely. But in any event, what happened happened, what he found out is that um, his book was actually, uh, the word used is privished privished. <laughs> that means... To oh, pub- I was going to ask you about
1: yeah. that. Yeah. I, had, I had a book privished. Yeah.
3: It <laughs> means to publish a book privately so it sinks without a trace. And when his book on the DuPonts was privished in 1974 by Prentice Hall, uh, that was because the subject of the book, DuPont, actually had a copy of the manuscript leaked to them by somebody inside the publisher with a handwritten index of all the DuPonts names in the back. Then it got circulated around the DuPont public relations and legal departments, then they made a phone call to Book of the Month Club saying the book was scurrilous and actionable, uh, which then scared the daylights out of Book of the Month Club, actually their subsidiary, Fortune Book Club, which proceeded to drop the contract uh, within 24 hours. This sent fear over to Prentice Hall, and they killed the book, and the way they killed the book is they just pulled out all its support. They they canceled the author's tour, they refused to do a, a new printing, and they... Um, never put it into paperback, and if a, and they cut, you know, they cut the ad budget. Did, so, do they own the rights to it, Charlotte? Um, d- d- did they own the rights? Yeah, to it? yeah. I mean, he he couldn't do anything about it, so uh-huh. he sued. He sued. We both sued, and uh, we just it's still going on now. Sometimes a book will be private, not just for political reasons, but just because it's not doing well economically. Uh-huh. So the publisher has a way of killing the book, but this, it's this still.
1: Happened, this happened to a book of mine, my, my first book, actually. The, the war conspiracy when it first came out in 1972 uh, from Bob's Merrill, which was a subsidiary of it which was very much in bed with the CIA in Chile it, just at that time. And uh, a friend of mine was a book agent. He went to a book publishing fair. And uh, the book wasn't at the Bob's Merrill table, and the man at the table said, what's that book? We couldn't have published it. I would know about it if we had published it. <laughs> and later, he, uh, he said he had been wrong and sent a copy to my friend. But yes, they, they, the books do get privished, and that, of course, affects how people think. So I think in Berkeley, people know that they have to think outside the box, that there's more to life than they can read in today's Chronicle, especially today's shrine. <laughs>
2: you know, the other thing i am sorry to Christina. interrupt, but I want to make a very important point, which is this is not some left-wing movement, okay? You know, you were talking about the Tea Party movement. Now, one thing about the Tea Party movement is they are looking for accountability too. That's correct, correct. You know? Amen. absolutely. And, Amen. and and so I really and and I always said this about Buzzsaw too. You know, I I'm not interested, uh, left, right, pilot, whatever. I don't care what wing the truth flies in on, as long as it's the truth. Okay, and and it's the same thing with accountability. These t- these t- a lot of these tea partiers are people who are really hurting. You know, I just drove across the country uh, from from California to uh, to New Jersey, and I've got to oh, tell you, wow. people. People are really suffering. They want to know what the hell happened to their economy, mm-hmm. you know, at the mm-hmm. same time that that their tax money health is insurance. being given to bankers. Mm-hmm. I mean, the health, it, there's a lot going on. And so, please, I, I really want to stress this right now. This is not some sort of left-wing thing. Yeah, okay?
1: Amen. Can I just say that in the last chapter of my book, which is not uh, – this show shouldn't be thought of as being a pessimistic. It's not. My book was not pessimistic. I I looked forward to a time when people on the left and on the right would realize that they had a common stake exactly. in dealing with the problems at the center, which have been become problems of illegalities now and crimes. And this is a decent country, primarily. You go to, I've slept in every state except three, I think. And everywhere you go, you meet decent people. or other people, too, as in any other. Thing. But it's a decent country. And the just have to appeal to the decency in people of the left and of the right to see that they have a common stake in dealing with what has become a very major problem in Washington. It's been growing and growing and growing since World War II and it's high time now that there be accountability.
3: And Naomi Wolf, I might add, who's definitely a part of our movement um, has recently been reaching out to members of the Tea Party movement. Uh, Apparently she was just interviewed on Fox TV we, well, we need, they reached out to her. Yeah, and and we need to get back to her. But she says okay. on in a blurb on the on, on the back of, of People versus Bush, she says the accountability movement deserves broad attention and deep support from across the political spectrum. So that's what we're aiming to do. Right, and we're not just talking about the endless war that has
0: been created and the lockdown on citizens in a police state, but now they're stealing everybody's money. Yeah, uh, yeah. the pensions are. are that's disappearing. the thing that really gets
1: people. Uh, I, it to AIG, which really hurts. <laughs> well, yes. now,
0: well, now we're going to have to buy health insurance. What from AIG, Peter?
1: I don't know. <laughs> <laughs>
0: I'm speaking today with investigative journalists and authors Christina Borgeson, Charlotte Dennett, and Peter Dale Scott. Today's show, The Accountability Movement, High Crimes, Mass Media, and Deep Politics. I'm Bonnie Faulkner. This is Guns and Butter. One thing, Christina Borgeson, that I wanted to follow up on you with, with your experience at CBS, you actually, after you were fired, weren't wasn't your phone tapped and your, and your car uh, uh, rifled and uh, all sorts of stuff? Oh, uh,
2: yeah, it was very, uh, it was really like going through the looking glass. What uh, My phone sound just sounded weird. I don't know, you know, I can't say for certain it was tapped, although I did get in touch with uh, my phone company trying to look into that. But definitely when um, we were working for the um, pilot for ABC, I... Um, I had parked the car. We had parked the car. My, I was working with uh, Kelly O'Meara, who had, uh, actually, she had uh, worked with um, Michael Forbes, Congressman Michael Forbes, who's in whose district the plane went down. And well, she I lost wanted her to job.
0: I wanted to point out that Kelly O'Meara became according to Into the Buzzsaw a journalist because of TWA exactly. flight
2: 800. Exactly. It's a very important story. Yeah, she was she was and she's a very good investigative reporter. But anyway, our car uh because we were there we were getting ready to shoot some stuff and you know, we had um uh, we had uh, papers, and there were some uh, tennis rackets and golf clubs and various things in, in the trunk of her car, and then our computer, her her computer, and some papers. And the car was the trunk was broken into, and the only thing that was taken uh, was the computer and the papers. So it was a very clear signal to us that uh, we were being followed. And of course, you know, it, it was only a few days after it was during that trip we got a call uh, from L.A telling us to stand down, that we weren't doing that, that story anymore. And the fascinating thing about it was that um, there was a spate of articles in, in Newsweeks, Periscope, New York Times, this and that, all of them talking about this show that was going to be done. I mean, it was just one segment of this show. It wasn't the entire show. And all talking about this show. Oh, I know,
0: I know. Big deal, Christina, right? They can't uh, let anything out. Well, my guests today have been investigative reporters and authors Christina Borgeson, Charlotte Dennett, and Peter Dale Scott. Today's show has been the accountability movement, high crimes, mass media, and deep politics. Well, we've been able to scratch the surface today, at least. Uh, Christina Borgeson is editor of Into the Buzzsaw, leading journalists exposed the myth of a free press. I see we're running out of time. I'm going to cut it a little short. Charlotte Dennett is an attorney and author of The People vs. Bush One Lawyer's Campaign to Bring the President to Justice and the Grassroots Movement She Encountered Along the Way Also with me today Peter Dale Scott a poet and author of The War Conspiracy JFK 9-11 and the Deep
3: Politics of War Now um Charlotte, your website is org. Well, that's one of them. That's about my campaign for attorney general. But linked to that, the main website now is peoplevbush.com. And that'll take people everywhere they need to go. Right. And Peter Dale Scott, your uh, website is peterdalescott.net
1: www.peterdalescott.net <laughs> Or you can just Google for me, it comes up at the top.
2: <laughs>
0: Boy, I'll bet it does. And how about you, Christina? I don't
2: have a website, but you can follow me on Twitter at Veritas Club.
0: Wow. Do you have a, an email or anything you'd like to give out?
2: Um well sure. It's FKLB at optonline.net. That's F is in Frank. K is in Kilo. L is in Lima. B is in Bravo.
0: And to contact me, Bonnie Faulkner, email me at blfaulkner at yahoo.com. That's B L. F-A-U-L-K-N-E-R at yahoo.com. Thank you all very much, and I hope to see some of you out there tonight at this great event at uh, Cedar and Benita. Thank you very much, Bonnie, for thank having you, us. Bonnie. Oh, thank you. Charlotte. Thank you for
1: Dennis. your show, which is a great pillar oh. of station.
0: Thank you so much, Peter. That's so kind of you, and thank you, Christina.
1: Thank you. <laughs>